Welcome to today's energy show. Today we're going to talk about electricity from nuclear power. There's lots of benefits with nuclear power and obviously some disadvantages. To get some perspective on this, let's turn the clock back 60 years to see where we started when nuclear energy uh, started being considered as a major electricity source for, for the U.S. and the world. Louis Strauss, then chairman of the United States Atomic Energy Commission, said in a 1954 speech to the National Association of Science Writers, and this is all in the perspective of moving from nuclear energy for weapons to nuclear energy for energy and civil, civilian purposes. So Louis Strauss said, our children will enjoy in their homes electrical energy too cheap to meter. It's not too much to expect that our children will know of great periodic regional famines in the world only as a matter of history. We'll travel effortlessly over the seas and under them and through the air with a minimum of danger and at great speeds. And we'll experience a lifespan far longer than ours as disease yields and man comes to understand what causes him to age. Okay, so he made a lot of predictions there. The one that I kind of like at the beginning is electricity is going to be too cheap to meter. But the problem with making these predictions about the future is the more specific you get, sometimes the wackier you seem, unless you're really, really lucky. But looking at this quote, what I find really significant is that um, he, he, he's right in a lot of ways about how electricity is going to get too cheap to meter. We've, interestingly, just through through human history, we've become a much more energy-intensive energy intensive society. There's a trend towards more concentrated energy and a lot more energy being used for pretty much everything you do. I mean, just look around your home. What do you see? Um, there's electrical appliances everywhere, and, and things are using electricity for whatever reason, even when they used to not really need it. Um, but obviously that we've got those features because they give us better benefits. Just, just look at the trend in lighting. You know, for, first we found some fire, and then we started using candles for illumination. Then the big step was incandescent lighting, so that's the first electrical lighting. And now there's LEDs, um, and that's kind of taken over. And, and who knows, in another 10 or 20 years, there'll be, you know, just surfaces are going to be illuminated. So, so we're using electricity where we didn't before. The surprising thing when you look at it is the energy costs that we're using are generally coming down on an inflation-adjusted basis. So if you look at what we what we were paying for a unit of energy like a kilowatt hour, whether it's um, electrical or, or, or heating or whatever, that cost has been coming down. I mean, think about how much of an investment it was for um, a frontier person in the in, in the early United States to spend you know, several hours a week chopping wood just to keep his house warm and just to cook. I mean, we don't have to do that now. We, we, we work so we can earn some money so that we can pay the utility bill, but it's it's a very different perspective. Now, looking at, at um, Strauss's comments, yeah, we still have tr- famines, so, so that hasn't changed yet, but it's gotten a lot better. Um, we do travel quite effortlessly, although not always comfortably. I think about those 19-inch pitches in a seat in, in coach. Um, and, and the dangers from travel aren't really from the transportation mode, but it's from you know craziness like terrorists. We do have longer lifespans. That's been kind of a significant increase. We, we think we know what causes us to age. Now, in um, you know, 30 years ago, what was causing us to age was butter and eggs. And now what seems to be causing us to age and, and be unhealthy is so soda and hydrogenated fat. So that's going to change, you know, probably another 25 years. It's okay to drink soda again. But anyway, I, I digress. What, what Strauss was really talking about referring to was nuclear energy, specifically at the time, 
nuclear fission. Um, but we also have nuclear fusion. We'll talk about that briefly. But but in, in fission, basically, we're taking some kind of you know uranium atom and splitting it and releasing energy. Um, fusion is actually something that's fusing together. It's hydrogen atoms combined, and that's, that's what goes on in the sun. That's what a hydrogen bomb is based on. And also, when those hydrogen atoms combine, they release a lot of energy. Fusion is, it can release even more energy than fission. That's why we've got hydrogen bombs, fusion bombs instead of fission bombs. But um, hydrogen fusion is still kind of far away. So right now, when we talk about nuclear plants, really going back 50 years, their fission reactors were, were um, causing uranium to heat up by putting this uranium close together. It gets really hot. We use that heat to create steam. And this is just like a regular power plant. The steam runs turbines. The turbines spin a generator. Then we have to cool the steam down with a cooling tower or circulating water. And then we repeat that cycle. So just remember, instead of combustion, instead of burning coal or, or natural gas, which, are, which releases greenhouse gases, CO2, nuclear is, is, is clean in the sense that it doesn't really release any emissions into the air. The rest of the power plant is pretty much similar, although you've got a lot of technology and a lot of expense related to the, um, the, the, the safe operation of the reactor itself. Fusion, we've got potential for that. And that's, as I mentioned, where we're combining hydrogen atoms. But the, we haven't been able to do that effectively and sustainably because the, the pressure you need to compress these atoms together um, and the heat that it has to operate at is not something that we've been able to really achieve yet on a sustainable basis with our engineering materials. That'll change. And then there's also lots of developments and talk about cold fusion where you actually don't have to compress it as much and, and that's in the very very early lab stages some people think that it's working and then they just got to scale it up but you know nuclear energy is, is is a very contentious issue it's kind of like the environmentalist's third rail um, and and it's becoming more contentious over the last 10 years or so because of the the climate change issues so if we if we had more energy options, there'd be less incentive to use nuclear power. So um, the good thing about nuclear, if it works and the consequences are small, you know, not not, not a lot of disasters, radioactive waste, etc., then nuclear, in, in my view, is a great energy source. But the thing is that people are worried that these these downside consequences are are going to be dire, and we're talking about what those bad consequences are. And there's some some evidence for this. Is you know you've got the the issue of nuclear proliferation, terrorists getting a hold of these nuclear materials when there's more materials everywhere, that they could they could do something bad with it. You've got the issue of nuclear waste. We still haven't figured out how to safely process and store that and make it go away so that it's not a hazard to, uh, to, to life. What's been the most specific and tangible is that we've got we've had a number of nuclear disasters over the past 40 years or so and and those those worry people because they're so disruptive and dangerous and then finally you've got relatively high costs through that throughout the entire nuclear power cycle and we'll talk about that in a minute so so just kind of getting back to it what's the current state of nuclear energy in the u.s it's kind of good to look at this there's currently about a hundred nuclear reactors around the U.S. You've seen them. They're these big concrete domes that are sitting usually somewhere where there's some cooling water available. Steam going up. There's a nuclear reaction going on on inside and generation capacity. And boom, you've got these really, really intensive high power um, uh, utility lines, transmission lines and transformers coming out of that plant. Basically, these plants are great because they can power an entire city. But, But all of them have been built since the 70s, and um, we're not building anymore. There's, well, we are. There's three plants that are currently under construction, 
but th- this construction process is is very slow. It's it's becoming more and more expensive instead of less expensive. I mean, every, every time you build something, it always costs more. But but with nuclear, you can multiply times two or three, and it takes a long time to plan these things. We have a number of other plants that are planned. You know, the engineering's done. They're working on the permitting. They're getting permission to proceed. But there's there's issues, a lot of resistance, and and unfortunately, what's happening in terms of our overall generating capacity from nuclear is that the plants are being closed in the U.S. faster than they're being constructed. Um, You know, here's an example right here in California, down near San Diego. Um, We recently closed the San Onofre plant on the Southern California coast. And the problem was that the steam tubes or steam generators that go kind of through the area that's really hot within the reactor um, were replaced in 2009 and 2010. And and the maintenance requirements for these plants is very, very uh, specific and intensive. And they found that these new steam generators were wearing out faster than they should have. And they weren't exactly sure why. There might have been other issues. But the owners of the plant, the utilities down there, basically just said, hey, you know, we're going to just shut this thing down instead of replace those uh, steam generators again. So, you know, we kind of lost the output from that plant. All right, so there's two economic problems with nuclear. Um, First, the construction costs and the permitting delays make it really challenging for utilities to commit to nuclear. There's more regulations surrounding nuclear power than just about any other energy source. So, you know, I, I kind of think it's difficult to get a permit for a rooftop solar system. The, the paperwork for a nuclear plant probably would fill up a room. Um, second, which, which has been more recent, is that substitute fuels are becoming available, particularly from a utility standpoint. Natural gas is is very inexpensive and it's it's quite competitive with nuclear power. So when you look at the cost for nuclear, the fuel is relatively cheap, but the plants are very expensive to operate, um, and and the plants are very expensive to decommission. So when you're thinking about when a utility is thinking about building a nuclear plant, they also have to think 30 or 40 or 50 years from now about the investment it's going to take to decommission that plant. Those are big expenses. So w- what happens is natural gas is currently cheaper. That you can build a natural gas plant relatively quickly. I mean, we're talking about five years rather than 15 years, and it's much less risky. You know, it's pretty much going to work. There's proven designs. You can get the gas, and um, there's, there's not as much opposition to a natural gas plant. Now, the good thing about nuclear is we've got substantial government support. So um, every, every facility is going to need some kind of insurance. Well, no insurance company in their right mind is going to undertake the, the risk premium for a nuclear plant. So the, the government basically covers that downside risk. They, they, they insure the insurers. Um, and the government basically is taking care of the waste in some way. And, and maybe taking care of is the wrong term. We're basically just uh, saying just pile it up in pools and bury it in a mountain somewhere and we'll figure out what to do later. And, and realistically, the government's also going to end up um, providing a backstop on decommissioning plants. So if the, if the utilities throw in the towel and quit or go out of business, the government's going to have to take care of that. So here's where we're at today with nuclear power. Just, I'm trying to be like brutally realistic. It's a good technology, especially for generating baseload power. That's like a constant amount of power all the time. We need a lot of power at night. Sun's not shining. And, and nuclear is great for that. It's very good in terms of climate change, because there's no CO2 during the operation. Now, people kind of look and see what's involved in, in constructing the plant and the concrete and all that stuff. And, you know, it's, it's not insignificant, but operating the nuclear plant, you don't have, you're not generating greenhouse gases or CO2. We have to work on the economics because these substitute fuels like natural gas are, are cheap and reactors, building reactors, very expensive. There's no solution in sight 
for the waste problems. We're talking about trying to fix it, but this, this we're taking the same approach for the last 50 years, which is just letting the stuff pile up. And um, we, we keep thinking from a, from an engineering standpoint that we're, we're solving the potential problems with a nuclear disaster, if there's a you know, meltdown or whatever. But um, the problem with disasters is you kind of prepare from the last disaster, and the next disaster happens because it's something that you didn't plan for. It's not expected. So we do have those future future issues in terms of uh, some kind of problem happening at a plant um, where there's a nuclear energy release and it's it's just going to be really bad. Um, and then finally, where we're at is there's the whole issue of not in my backyard, NIMBY, for reactors and waste and disaster. Basically, nobody wants to have a house near a nuclear reactor. Nobody wants to be kind of near where there's a waste disposal facility or a waste storage facility. Just, you know, why live there? Why be there? So um, every time we want to site one of these plants, there's a lot of local resistance. So the biggest problem is that kind of we as a society aren't really able to overcome the emotional issues of, of these disasters that have happened, these disasters like Three Mile Island, Chernobyl, Fukushima. There's a whole generation of baby boomers who, who vividly remember the, the Three Mile Island disaster in Chernobyl. I remember back in the 70s, actually before these things happened, there was protests in Seabrook, New Hampshire, um, against the Seabrook nuclear plant. And there was the no more no more nukes rallying and, and you know, there was students that were demonstrating and busing people from Boston up to up to Seabrook and, and demonstrating. And that that kind of delayed uh, that plan ultimately, you know, was its death knell. But there was nothing really bad yet. I mean, it was just, there was more of a, a principal objection to nuclear. But then what happened, um, it was just kind of interesting, just looking looking at the timeline. There was a really cool movie called The China Syndrome in 1979. It was with a, it was a good movie. It was Jane Fonda, Jack Lemmon, Michael Douglas, and it was about a nuclear disaster that happened. And uh, lots of people went to see that movie and it was kind of good. And then Remarkably, 12 days later, um, the accident happened at Three Mile Island where there was actually a, a partial meltdown and was a release of nuclear energy. And, you know, the the, the uh, attendance to the, the China Syndrome movie went through the roof. The, the producers of the movie were like prescient in one sense. It was really an amazing coincidence. But but those two things, you've got a real-life disaster and you've got a movie that we're combining really within, within a two-week period. And, and everybody those days remember how bad that was and was afraid of it. And then things kind of calmed down for six or seven years. And, you know, we, that was a, a one-off issue. It's never going to happen again. And then Chernobyl in the Soviet Union blew up. That was the worst disaster yet. There was um, the, the 31 immediate deaths from first responders at the plant. And then there's, um, they, they estimate still on an ongoing basis, 4,000 estimated cancer deaths and whole swaths of, of, of the former Soviet Union, Belarus, Ukraine are uninhabitable. And still to this day, you're not allowed to like shoot or eat any wild boar from that part of Eastern Europe and Germany that you're not allowed to, to eat the, the, the animals that are foraging for some of the the food in the forest because um, it's still contaminated. Um, and if you look at the radioactivity in, in the meat, it's just too high. So that hasn't gone away. And, you know, heck, that's like 35 years ago. But um, we, we'd probably be making much more progress towards a nuclear renaissance. But then the Fukushima thing happened a generation later, two years ago, three years ago. And it's interesting, the perspective, the nuclear um, industry says, oh, there's no deaths from radiation from Fukushima, and a thousand people died during the evacuation. And then the other side of it, Greenpeace, 
is uh, saying 160,000 people had to flee their homes because of that disaster. But but really, the, at the end of the day, the headlines refreshed everybody's concern about nuclear power, and it could be bad. Um, so you've got all these um, aging baby boomers who are no longer really actively protesting, but you've got a whole new generation of young adults who are really, really concerned. It was just like we, we were back in the 70s. And it's still in the news. There's higher than normal radioactivity. There's radioactive water. There's, you know, the, the radioactivity in water that's that's washing up on the shores of California is a little bit higher. There's still leaks in the reactor. So it's not going anywhere. So here's kind of the trade-off we have with nuclear. Can our concerns and the, the downside of, of climate change caused by fossil fuel generation and CO2 overcome the downside and our concerns about nuclear? And the reality is probably not in the short or medium term. We could probably have a nuclear renaissance again in 20 years if there's no more accidents. And when I'm talking about a renaissance, I'm talking about a situation where we basically say um, 20 years from now, you know, we've got all this figured out. We've got new reactors and, and let's start putting in more reactors. And that, that's possible that these things are really going to take off again in 20 years. But that's if there's no more accidents. Until then, it's really an uphill struggle for any company, any utility to get a nuclear plant built. And, and in fact, most of them are thrown in the towel saying we're going to do something else. And, and the reality is when you're talking about these kind of decisions and they're very politicized, it's, it's easier for um, people in that area or people who are, are um, against nuclear power to resist nuclear, to delay it, to regulate it. Effectively, you can postpone these big decisions, these big investments forever or just make them so expensive that the economics are no longer pencil out. Now, that's kind of all bad in the sense that, uh, well, gee, what are we going to do for energy? But the good news is that just over the last five years, it's becoming really obvious to people that solar and wind, um, which are, there's lots of capacity, um, combined with battery storage, are really going to get much more cost effective. When you kind of look at where the generating capacity of, of power plants additions have been over the last year, um, renewable sources, this is solar and wind, accounted for 30% of all new power generating capacity in 2013. And that doesn't include all the distributed generation because kind of nobody counts that. It's, you know, the, if, you, if the utilities don't see it, they don't count it. But that, that's been huge. So, yes, natural gas, fire plant, natural gas plants accounted for just over 50% of the new electrical generating capacity. So utility needs more, they, there's more people in their service area, they need to build a new plant, they're putting in natural gas plants, and natural gas is inexpensive, great, you can run it at night, so it's fine. Um, solar provided nearly 22%, and that was just, um, this is in 2013, that was a jump from just 6% in 2012, and, and you know that in 2014 it's going to be even bigger. Remarkably, and I don't, I don't understand this, but coal provided 11% of the new generating capacity, um, but I know we're shutting coal plants kind of left and right, and wind was um, 8%. So the new capacity, the growth in the new capacity is coming from renewables, and the interest um, among utilities is, is, is being diminished with investing in nuclear because now there's better options. Now, the second big shift is really in the utility investment perspective because of, um, and, and the utilities have this problem with the business model. We've talked about that before. Uh, there's a shift towards de distributed generation, basically towards customers saying, hey, I can own my own power plant and generate electricity cheaper than I can buy it from you. So people are generating their own power. Um, and utilities are no longer seeing a steady and strong growth in their generating assets. And this is important because the current business model utilities operate under is they get a rate of return on their total amount of assets. So if their assets are growing more slowly, 
their profits, their rate of return grows more slowly. When their profits grow more slowly, it's tougher for them to borrow money. That increases their interest rates, which means their profits get even lower. So it's not that easy for utilities to continue to make these investments. And when they do make investments, they're going to be very careful about making sure they invest in in things that are steady and reliable without future problems. And when you look at nuclear, nuclear is risky. It's long term. I mean, you, it can take 15 years to plan to build a plant um, and the numbers are going to be expensive. So it's a, it's a very expensive, risky type of investment. So utilities are saying, hey, you know, the, everybody wants us to build a solar plant with batteries. Um, we like nuclear for whatever reason, but the solar with batteries or, or the wind plants is just cheaper and less risky. So that's where those investments are going. So what I think is going to happen realistically is nuclear is just going to continue to get sidetracked. Um, it's because of the cost. It's expensive. It's because of the risk. Um, you know, nobody, um, nobody wants to see another disaster and you can pretty much guarantee they're going to happen. We just don't know when or where. And there's social issues, these NIMBY issues, and people just don't want it. Not, not everybody. And if you do some polling, people are saying, yeah, I don't really mind getting electricity from nuclear, but they never ask the question, well, what about in your neighborhood? Because the answer is going to be 100% no. So what's interesting is I remember going to, to lots of these open discussions in the solar industry 10 years ago, and, and there was a big debate over, you know, because of climate change, um, some environmentalists were really saying, hey, nuclear is better than global warming. Let's take the risk of nuclear, um, which is possible to fix, versus the risk of global warming and, and how that's going to change our, our, our culture because we know that's going to happen. And, pe- and environmentalists were saying, hey, you know, maybe uh, nuclear is not so bad anymore um, because of this global warming issue. But now it's become much clearer that solar and wind, particularly combined with storage technology like batteries, is going to be the future energy source. There's really unlimited capacity for solar. Solar panels are getting more efficient. There's plenty of area that, that the sun's hitting and we can collect all that energy. It's easy. So what's happening is that's really diluting the environmental impact in favor of nuclear. And, and I, I, w- I would bet that um, very, very few environmentalists are really saying, well, you know, nuclear is still a good option now. So, so kind of what does that mean? To you, well, you know, kind of looking at what investments are, solar on your roof is a really safe investment, um, whether it's your home or your business. That's kind of a no-brainer. You're going to get a payback. The sun's going to come up. Um, if for whatever reason the sun doesn't come up, we've got much bigger problems. Um, we've got um, lots and lots of renewable energy companies, solar companies, wind companies, storage companies cropping up, um, companies that have interesting finance business models. Um, there's going to be some really, really big successes there. Um, it's very volatile because we're kind of at the early stage of that industry, but there's a lot of opportunity, just kind of like the auto industry was 100 years ago. There was 100 auto companies. Um, now, five of them really survived, but the ones that survived did really, really well. So there's a lot of investment there. So yeah, hey, put solar on your roof, good investment. A um, little bit of a crapshoot if you can make the right bets on, on renewable energy companies, but that's going to be good. Um, I kind of look at the the steady, reliable, retired person investment in utility bonds and fixed income securities. Um, that's going to kind of d- d- go downhill in my view um, because the, those business models of utilities are changing. I was just reading the, the paper today about a utility in Puerto Rico that's really having trouble, um, you know, paying paying off their debt. Now, that's the different reason because they overinvested, but that's going to happen to utilities. Um, and the main reason is, for the first time ever, um, customers of utilities have good alternatives. And that's kind of the, 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 the big point, is that we have good alternatives 
to other sources of energy, whether it's nuclear or fossil fuels. And that's in renewable, renewable power generation, and um, it's becoming quite cost-effective. So anyway, um, that's all the time we've got on this week's Energy Show. Thanks for joining me on our show today. And if you missed any of today's show, you can always go to our website at cinnamonsolar.com and listen to the podcasts. 